You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Thank you guys so much for having me. Like Mike said, uh, I spoke at the men's conference last year, so I've got a little familiarity with Sun Grove Church. It's obvious that this is a a Christ-centered church. It's obvious that this is a really fun church. So I'm just excited to be with you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to John chapter 10. This morning, we're talking about the shepherd's voice. Uh, The reality is there's so many voices in our society speaking into our lives and vying for our attention. How do we make a decision about what voices we follow? How do we determine who we listen to? Uh, Whose voice guides you? Uh, The reality is whatever voice is guiding you through your life, that's your shepherd. Now, my name is Dan Palmer. I'm the executive director of Youth for Christ uh, for the Sacramento region. And I've had the privilege of working with kids all around our city. And it's really shocking when you see the voices that are speaking into their lives and the difficulties that they're going through in the society that they're living in right now. We have a program called Point Break, which is a anti-bullying empathy workshop that we do for an entire day. Students are normally so excited to go to it because they don't have to go to class for the entire day. And it's like a youth group feel. There's games and then there's three talks with family groups. I guess you guys call them circle groups here. Circle groups afterwards where they discuss what they're learning and it ends at the end of the day with a cross the line moment where they kind of raise their, their hand and say, hey, this is, this is where I'm at in my life. And it always just breaks my heart because I don't think my generation would admit these things. But this generation is so authentic and so honest and so genuine that every time I end up with tears rolling down my face. And the first time I saw it was at my, my middle son's school. He, was, he had gone on Tuesday. I was there on Thursday. So he wasn't in the room. But they surround the entire gym. And they start off to say, hey, we're going to ask you to do something that's going to require some courage. We're going to ask you to cross the line, which means just step to the next line in the gym if this applies to you. And the first question they ask is they say, if if you feel like you need to wear a mask, because if you were your true self, you know that people wouldn't accept you, just cross the line. And shockingly, probably about 40% of the room steps forward. And I remember sitting there and I was watching this one young man uh, being a career youth leader. He was the type of guy, I said, man, I could build a group around this kid. Looked like kind of a surfer kid from Santa Barbara, surrounded by a group of guys. You could tell that he had galvanized them. He was like a leader and he was there with them for all the games. And I just, he was catching my eye and he stepped forward on the first one and he kind of looked back and laughed. And then he he said, "You you can go back to your normal spot and he backed up. And then the speaker just kept going. You know, if drugs and alcohol have negatively impacted your family, if when you get home from school, no one's there to greet you, if you're in a single parent home, if you have a deep, dark secret that no one knows about, on and on. And I watched this boy step forward. He laughed at the first one. About four questions in, I could see the emotion building on his face. And as it got near the end, he was openly sobbing. And the final question is, if you feel that your life is insignificant, that if you didn't exist, no one would care and no one would miss you, would you cross the line? And probably every single time, about 25% of the room steps forward and says, yep, that's me. And we say, would you turn and face your classmates if you didn't cross the line, but you see one of your friends there and their life does matter to you, that if they didn't exist, it would negatively impact your life. Would you just go and put your 
put your arms around them. And they go and it's like group hug and everyone's crying. And for me, I share that story. It's a, a big part of what I do week in and week out. But it's a reminder that voices are impacting our youth, but not just our youth, you. And when you have a shepherd that's speaking truth into your life, you have to learn how to discern between the voices that you're hearing. In John chapter 10, Jesus says this to his people about him being our shepherd. 10 verse 4, he says, When the shepherd has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And I wonder in your life, in the chaos and the craziness that you go through, if the voice of your shepherd cuts through the noise so that you know how you're supposed to live. I'll never forget the day my first son was born. It was the absolute best day in my life. And in some ways it was the worst day in my life too. We were so excited. We'd been married three years before and we just couldn't wait for to become a family. You know, have that first child born. And so we had the bag ready by the door and we got ready for Caleb to be born. And sure enough, it was like five in the morning. My wife shook me awake and said, I think my water broke. And I grabbed the bag and threw her in the car and we rushed as fast as we could to the hospital hospital and we got there and we got into the room and then we waited. <laughs> You've been there, huh? We waited and we waited and we waited. At 11 o'clock at night, we were still waiting for this baby to come. And it was the calm before the storm. We were so enthusiastic and all of a sudden the, the machine started beeping and the nurses rushed in and they're rolling my wife over and then they're pushing her bed out of the room and I see a doctor running down the hall and nurses are pulling gloves onto his hands and I don't know what's going on. My world just got flipped upside down. I get pulled into a side room and a nurse says, we think your wife's gonna be okay, but we don't know about your son. And my heart just dropped. This is the best day of my life. And yet I feel like my entire world just got flipped upside down. And I sat in that room for the longest 45 minutes of my life. And then I heard a baby screaming, screaming. I should have known right there it was my son. <laughs> but they rolled him out and he's all alone. They had gassed my wife. He didn't meet his parents. He came into this world and they, they roll him out in the little bassinet. He's screaming and I see him. And with this raspy voice, sounds like I smoke 12 packs of cigarettes a day. I don't smoke at all. I said, is that my boy? And literally he stopped crying instantly and lifted his head with those glassy baby eyes and looked right at me. And in that moment, I knew that's my son. You know why? He recognized my voice. And I wonder for you and your life in the midst of the chaos, when God speaks into your life, does it cut through that noise so that you say, that's my father's voice. That's the shepherd's voice. This is what we're studying today. In John 10, verse 10, Jesus says this about him as our shepherd. He says, your enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I, had, I have come that you might have a life and have it abundantly. He says, there's two voices in your life that you're going to have to deal with. There's my voice, and my voice is going to lead you towards what I call the abundant life, the life that you're intended to lead. But you also have another voice speaking into your life, and that voice wants to steal your joy, to kill your spirit, and to destroy your life. Which voice are you going to listen to? The reality is that a war is being waged for your ears. A war is being waged for your eyes. A war is being waged for your life, for your mind, for your soul. 
One of my favorite passages in scripture is Ephesians 6, verse 10. Most of you know this passage because if you grew up going to Sunday school, it's the armor of God passage and you probably had a flannel board where you put the breastplate of righteousness and all that on the figure. I'm not going to preach on the, the, the armor of God, but I want to talk about the introduction to the armor of God. Why Paul says we need to put armor on. Because I think sometimes we forget. In Ephesians 6.10, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that, it's a statement of purpose, put on the armor for the purpose that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, put on your armor because you have to take a stand against an enemy who's seeking your destruction. Put on the armor of God because this enemy doesn't fight fair. Wouldn't it be great if Satan just, it was always a frontal attack? I mean, for example, if he just came and said, cheat on your spouse. We say, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. But that isn't how he works. He twists things. He'll come to us and say, hey, God is love. And we'll say, yeah, I've heard that in the Bible before. And over time, he'll flip it around to where we start thinking love is God. And therefore, if I have these sorts of emotional feelings, how could it be wrong? It's connected to God. It's love. And then we find ourselves in a situation we never intended to be in. And you end up across the desk from a pastor like me saying, Pastor Dan, how did I get here? I never intended to be here. And I'll say in that moment, you've been schemed. <laughs> you got tricked. You have an enemy that wants to destroy you and he doesn't fight fair. And our enemy is a spiritual enemy. You know, I, I love that word scheme. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. This is what a scheme is. A scheme is a deceptive strategy employed to ensnare an enemy. This is how, this is how your enemy fights. A deceptive strategy employed to ensnare an enemy. Here's a dictionary definition. To make plans in a devious way with the intent to do something illegal or wrong. I wonder if you've ever been schemed before. If you've ever been deceived in some way. Maybe financially, maybe just a practical joke. How many of you in the room have an older sibling? All right, a lot of you. Well, you've all been schemed. I know you have, because that's what older siblings do, right? I'm the youngest of three boys. I also have three adopted sisters. But my older brother, my oldest especially, was a huge schemer. He would pull practical jokes on us all the time. And I could literally spend the whole morning telling you stories, but I'll just give you a couple. Number one, I was a really good swimmer when I was about five, six, seven years old. And when you won, you got the blue first base ribbons and I had a stack of them. My brother wasn't very good. He had all the colors of the rainbow, but he would come into my room and say, man, your room's so boring. All you have is blue ribbons. It's so much cooler when you have all the colors. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, I'll, I'll trade you my green sixth place ribbon and my yellow fifth place ribbon for four of your blue ribbons. You just have a bunch of copies of them. Sure. So I put them on my wall and I didn't know I got schemed until his friends came over and they're like, you must be the best swimmer alive. I'm like, no, I am. I didn't have my ribbons anymore. But probably the best scheme my brother ever played is he came home from school his freshman year of high school. He's uh, almost six years older than me, so I was still in elementary school. He came home wearing a checkerboard muscle shirt. And I said, what are you wearing? Even in the 80s, that was hideous. Uh, I said, what are you wearing, man? He goes, this is the coolest shirt ever. 
I'm like, that's impossible. He goes, Danny, I'm telling you, this is the coolest shirt. I wear this to school and everybody loves me. I'm like, whatever, man. I just, I'm not listening to you. Next day he came home. Guess what? He's wearing checkerboard muscle shirt again. I'm like, you wore that shirt two days in a row? That's one of the two main rules of high school. You can't do that. He's like, when I wear this shirt, the girls want to talk to me. The guys want to be me. This is the coolest shirt on earth. I'm going to wear it every day. I'm like, you are not. Came home Wednesday, checkerboard muscle shirt. Came home Thursday, checkerboard muscle shirt again. Now my mind's changed. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the coolest shirt on earth. He pulls me into his room. He's like, Danny, you're my little brother and I love you. That's horrible. That, if your brother ever says that, run the other direction. He goes, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell you this checkerboard muscle shirt. I'm going to, this is my prized possession. I'm going to give it to you for only $20. Now that doesn't seem like very much money, but back in the, you know, basically this is probably late seventies and I'm like six years old. That's a fortune. I break my piggy bank, get all my money together. I buy the checkerboard muscle shirt. I put it on in the morning and literally it took me till I got to the bus stop to realize this would be the longest day of my life. Every person on earth made fun of me. That is a scheme. The moral of the story is your enemy can use your compassion against you, your love against you, your faith against you, even against your will if you don't know that you're at war. If you don't know that there's a battle that you're supposed to be fighting, you will be fooled at every turn. Let's talk about some of Satan's schemes that he uses to destroy us. First of all, he says, you don't need God. There's so many Christians, many even in this room, that are on that hamster wheel of legalism, trying with all your strength to measure up, to be righteous enough on your own power to please God. And let me tell you, you can never get there. It's why in Romans 7 says, how come the things I want to do, I can't do? It's, it's the things I hate that I keep doing. Who will save me from this body of flesh? And finally, in wisdom, he cries out, praise be to God through Jesus Christ. I'm free. Satan comes and says, you don't need God. You can do it on your own. And we work and we work and we never understand grace. He convinces us that we don't have an enemy. You know, I come across this all the time. I believe in God and angels, but Satan and demons, you know, the red tail and the horns, we're too sophisticated for that. And I say, you're getting schemed. You're getting schemed. I, I do a lot of work in Uganda. I've gone eight times over the last three years. I got a desire in my heart to install water wells. The last three years, we've installed 29 water wells. Through the partnership of some churches, we built a school. It has 230 orphans in it now. Um, it was an entire Muslim village. The vil entire village is Christian now. The mom gave his life to Christ. We baptized him in the Nile. I mean, just an incredible story of what God's done there. But I'll never forget my first trip. You know, here in America, there's a movie that says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. He's destroying our lives and we don't even know we have an enemy. But when you go to these third world countries, it's much more in your face. And I met this bishop who was dealing with a warlord called Joseph Coney. You may have heard about him. The invisible children group were trying to rescue the children that he had abducted from the villages. And this bishop was talking about the high places that he traveled to and prayed over in Jesus' name and how Coney wouldn't return there. Because he, the Lord's resistance army, the Lord is the name of the main spirit that controls Coney. 
he says, but I'm not controlled by only one spirit. I'm possessed by many spirits, and they call themselves the Holy Spirits. And this bishop was talking about these spirits, and he was naming them off. And I said, time out, time out. How do you know the names of these spirits? I've been a Christian my whole life. I went to seminary. I have a master of divinity, which means I am the master of all divine things. <laughs> it's a silly title. I said, I don't know. I know Baal, Beelzebub, Molech. I mean, they're in the Bible. He looked at me and he said, Pastor Dan, America's very young, but Africa's very old. These spirits, they're not strangers to us. They're the gods of our fathers. We worship them for generations. And when we worship them, they left us alone. But now that we've turned to Jesus, they're taking our children. And I just had goosebumps over my arm. And if you're sitting there today saying, I don't know about the spiritual world, I'll just tell you this, if demons don't exist, then Jesus was wrong because the, the gospels are full of him showing authority over the spiritual world. If spirits don't exist, then where do we put the Holy Spirit? I'm telling you, if the Holy Spirit doesn't exist, we're in big trouble. That's the main power source that we have. All a demon is is a fallen angel. If you believe in an angel, you can easily believe in a demon. They're the same thing, just one's fallen. It's funny, I talk to young people and they say, yeah, I don't believe in that spiritual stuff. And I'll say, do you believe in aliens? And they're like, absolutely. <laughs> like, well, if you saw an angel, you, it'd be an alien to you. It's not from here. And they're like, I never thought of it, you know? I think we need to wrestle with this because scripture is clear that we have an enemy seeking our destruction. And I don't bring this up to get weird and spiritual on you, but I want you to contemplate the voices that you're hearing over the course of your life. Another scheme of Satan's is he convinces us that we're the only thing that matters. We pursued pride and selfishness and we think that's gonna propel us to the top and make us happy, but it's not true tells us that today is more important than eternity. And so we refuse to delay gratification and we try to get all that we can get now, forgetting that we have eternity set in our hearts. He tries to convince us that what we have will make us happier than who we are and we fall into the trap of materialism. And one of the greatest things about missions is it just gives you a glimpse of people that have nothing that we have. I think one of the biggest problems we have as people and why we're so desperate to find connection, to find community, uh, to, to find a way to not be isolated is we don't need each other anymore. When's the last time you really needed someone? I mean, I got my own car, I drive to my house, I push the button, the garage door goes up, I come in, it closed down. Of all the food I need, I'll go out to eat if I need to. I don't need my mom or my dad or my siblings. I'm self-sufficient and independent. But you go to the third world country and if they don't have people in their community, they die. They need each other, they live together. And when you see a young child like I saw in Uganda at a soccer game and he was bent down playing with something and he stood up and I saw the shorts he was wearing and all they were were the pockets and the stitching. There was no fabric left and the thought popped into my head. He, he's just like me. He got up in the morning and looked in his closet and said, what am I going to wear? And he picked that. The only answer is that's all he has. And he looked up with me with that adorable Ugandan face. And there was joy there. There was happiness and there was purpose. It's not tied to what you have. It's tied to who you are and who God's made you to be. Here are some practical schemes that Satan uses. First of all, he steals your righteousness by calling you a sinner. 
How many of you guys have heard this before, said this before? I'm just a sinner in need of forgiveness. It's a common saying nowadays. A lot of us say, I've heard it, I've said it before. I hear it now all the time in ministry and I tell people, you've sinned before, yes, and you've sinned recently, but that's not who you are biblically. The New Testament, after Jesus' Jesus's sacrifice on the cross, does not call you a sinner. That is not who you are. It's something you do, but it doesn't define you because you're not defined by what you do. You're defined by the work that Jesus did on the cross. You know what you're called in the New Testament? A saint. And you might say, well, what's the big deal, Pastor Dan? I'll tell you the big deal. What you think about yourself results in how you act. So when temptation comes, and trust me, temptation comes to all of us on a daily basis, and in your mind, you've listened to the voice saying, you're a sinner. What's the natural inclination of a sinner? To sin. And so we're shocked that we're falling into this chronic sin that seems to always be there. But it's there because it's who we think we are. But in the New Testament, we're called saints. And when the temptation comes and you believe that you are a saint, The natural inclination for a saint is to perform acts of righteousness. And when the temptation comes, you say, that's not who I am. How could I do such a thing and sin against myself and sin against the living God? I couldn't do such a thing because our identity matters in the behavior that we make. And that's why Satan attacks our identity so much. Another practical scheme that Satan uses, he steals our efforts by convincing you that you're disqualified or useless. When I come across people that say, oh, you just don't know my past. You don't know what I did. And I said, I don't care what you did because I know what Jesus did. What you did is wiped away. And the reality is if you're willing to humble yourself and offer your past up as a gift to God, he will transform it into a powerful ministry for you. I spent years of my life humiliated because my dad lived a horrible life and left when I was six years old. And I didn't want anyone to know because I grew up in church and people knew the story and some people would tell their daughters, oh, stay away from those Palmer guys. Their dad was a disaster. And I felt the judgment of that and I would never talk about it. And one day I finally shared about it and I watched a kid's eyes well up with tears and he said, that's how I feel. And for the first time in my life, I realized I'm holding on to this pain and it could be a gift to make an impact in the lives of other people. And so what's your past? Eating disorder, drugs, alcohol, divorce, bad decisions, theft, whatever it is, offer it up as an offering to God. Don't worry about your glory, worry about his and watch him use your transformation to inspire and encourage other people. It's a trick of your enemy to convince you that you're disqualified or useless. Last I checked, scripture says that every believer who's come into a relationship with Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit indwelling them. This is the most powerful power source on earth. I don't think he gave you that for you to wallow in your past decisions. He gave that to you for you to make a difference in our world. It also says that each one of you, if you gave your life to Jesus, has a spiritual gift. Well, why would he give you a gift if he didn't want you to engage the world with it? You are a powerful tool that Satan wants to take off the chessboard. Get back in the game. Make a difference. Another thing he does is he steals our community by convincing us that we have more differences than commonalities. Has our society ever been more divided than it is today? I mean, it is a disaster, people. And all we're focused on is how different we are. I would tell you, turn off the news and just love your neighbor. (laughs) 
Have a conversation with someone different from you and realize how much you share in common. People always ask me about the wells because they think I'm glorying in this amazing change. But I tell them, you know, honestly, what I love the most is I built this relationship with this Ugandan pastor who had to run away from home when he was 15 years old. He's uneducated, he's untrained, and yet he has a giant faith in God. And God has used him to do an incredible ministry. And I go there and we do the work. But what I love is sitting in his living room that literally is concrete with no furniture. And I sit there with his wife and his three kids, Favor, Prosper, and his new son, Daniel, named after me, if you can believe it. (laughs) That's like an incredible honor. And we sit there and he's from Uganda and I'm from America. He's black and I'm white. He's poor and I'm a rich American. Those are our differences. But you know what we share in common? We love our kids and we want to see them grow into godliness and we don't know how to do it. We love our ministry and we're scared because we're holding this powerful thing in these frail human bodies where we can fail God. And we talk about our dreams and our hopes and we laugh until we cry over the silliest stuff like how when I took my first bath there, I poured the entire tub over my head and they thought it was the dumbest thing ever. (laughs) And we laugh because we share humor in common. Don't let the enemy divide us any longer. In Christ, we are one. Find the similarities. That is the voice of your enemy. And lastly, he steals our purpose by making us think people don't want to be saved. And I hear it all the time. All the world's so lost. Nothing can change people now. The doubts in the minds of unbelievers is powerful, friends. You look at your life living for Christ and wondering what your purpose is at times. Think about if you didn't have Christ. You look at this world, how does it make sense? What am I here for? How am I supposed to live? These are the questions unbelievers have and they look at your life and they're saying, they know something that I don't. Engage those moments. People are looking for salvation like they always have. So what's the truth? Here's your shepherd's truth. Here's the voice that he wants you to hear. First of all, the truth is Christianity is the best life imaginable. Nothing compares to it. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It might seem fun in the beginning, like when you were a kid and you lied and your brother or sister got blamed and you got away with it and you thought you were on top of the world, but eventually someone realizes that you're lying and then you become a liar and then no one ever listens to you again. This is how the world works. This is how sin works. It's good for a moment and then it brings destruction. This is what your enemy wants to do. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly. He wants to give you the life that you're yearning for if you would trust him. Secondly, we need God. And we're Americans, we're self-sufficient. We have everything that we need, but you need God. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many? All. All. It's a big word. That's me, you, that's everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Three chapters later, it says, for all have sinned, for the wages of sin is death. We've earned separation from God because of the sin that we all share. We need God. Fortunately, God loves us so much that he paid the price for that sin at great cost to himself. Let's embrace that. Third, God is at work in our world. And a lot of times we think that God's losing this battle here. He is not. He is winning and he will win. Have you read Revelation? We win. Congratulations, you're on the winning side. 
And God has the power. We're going to get there. When I joined Youth for Christ, I was terrified. I was in my dream job at my home church, working with one of my best friends, and the church was doing fantastic. Why would I leave that to go to a nonprofit where I got to raise funds, where we're reaching schools all across the city? And the, the thought in my mind was that the doors are closed. I live in California. We can't minister to students here. Why would I do this? This is a bad career decision. But God kept working on my heart, and this was the message he gave me. The doors are open. The doors are open. He said, no, they're not. There's no money. There's no open doors. There's no way I'm going to be able to do what you're calling me to do. The doors are open. And I came across the passage in Acts, Acts chapter 18, where Paul's entering Corinth, and he's terrified. And God comes to him in a dream and says, do not be afraid, for I have many people in the city. And I read that verse and I'm like, that's for me because I feel like I'm going out there all alone into the front lines. But the reality is there's already principals and teachers and church members that are engaged in the lives of these students. I'm not alone. God has many people in this city. He has many resources. I can lean into him and he will meet my need. You got to believe that the doors are open in your life, in your ministry. And lastly, God is so good. This is the truth of your shepherd. He is good. He wants your best. He wants you to have the life that you've dreamed of. If you could just take a moment, just close your eyes where you're sitting. I want to read a couple passages, and I want them just to wash over you. I want you to hear this as if God was speaking it. I know he would have a way better voice than mine, but just pretend this is God because he's the one that wrote these verses. So just close your eyes where you're sitting. I promise I won't walk down the aisles and smack you in the face. You're safe. Just close your eyes and listen to a few messages from your shepherd. This is for you. This isn't some old writing for someone else. Let him read it to you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In all things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. You can open your eyes. It's just a few powerful verses of truth for your life this morning, for you to grab onto an anchor for your soul in the midst of the chaos and the craziness of this world, for you to grab on and say, that's the truth, that's the voice cutting through the noise that I need to grab onto for peace and hope and love and joy. It's not easy to follow Jesus' voice. He's going to demand that we change because he created us and he loves us and he know what, knows what's best for us. He doesn't love us like we love our neighborhood kids where we go, oh, I love that kid. I'll give him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but I'm not going to get involved in his life. I'm not going to discipline him when he does wrong. He loves us like we love our own kids where we engage them at great cost to ourselves. I mean, have you ever grounded one of your kids? You're basically grounding yourself. But we love them so much, but we do it because we want to see them grow into mature, godly men and women. And what God's going to ask us to do is a big theological word, word called repent. It's a big word, but all, all it means is I'm walking in this direction. It's the wrong direction. I stop, I turn around, and I walk in the other direction. 
That's all repentance means. So when you're here this morning, whatever sin you're wrestling with or struggling with, you're carrying it, just stop. Put it down at the feet of Jesus. Turn around and go back in the other direction. This is what God's asking you to do. Cling to his word. I mean, my Bible. <laughs> I hope your Bible's used enough to where it just falls apart. <laughs> How can we hear the shepherd's voice if we don't go to his word and let him speak to us? Dig into his word. Don't take an hour. Take 10 minutes. It's like the gym. You can tell I make a plan every month. I'm going to go to the gym and I go for an hour and a half. I'm so sore I never go again. Don't wake up one morning and say, I'm going to read the Bible for an hour and a half and then pray for two hours. You'll last one day. Bite off something you can chew. Ten minutes. I'm going to read two verses and think about it. And then I'm going to pray about the people closest to me. But take 10 minutes and give it to God and watch what he does in your life. There's a couple ways God speaks to us, the shepherd's voice. He speaks primarily through his word, but he also speaks in our conscience. And we learn to listen to that voice inside our head that says, don't do that. It's important to listen to that. I'll never forget getting an argument with my wife. And I like the arguments where the thoughts never come to my head and I can say it before I know it's wrong. But one time I was about to have a zinger that would win the argument for me. You know those zingers. And the thought popped in my head right before, do you love winning more than you love her? Mm. Of course, I still said it. Um, <laughs> what my conscience told me is you love winning more than you love her. You need to change. You need to repent again. Stop, turn around, go the other direction. But the conscience reminds us of who we're supposed to be and when we're not there yet. Pursue God and love like he does. And I just want to end with this. One of my favorite passages in scripture is from Acts chapter 4. The religious leaders had just killed Jesus. The disciples watched it. They saw the power and the ill intent of these religious leaders. But then they saw Jesus rise from the dead. Then they saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Then Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit came on them and they had power. And in Acts 4, Peter and John are standing before those same people that killed Jesus. Think about how scared they must have been. These people killed Jesus. Surely they can kill you. And Peter gives one of the most rousing sermons ever. Almost as good as this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Um, rousing sermon where he calls him out. We must obey God rather than men. There is no other name under heaven and earth by which men must be saved. He is the cornerstone and you killed him. It's basically the message. And this is what it says in Acts 4.12. It says, when the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that they had been with Jesus. When they saw the courage of these two guys that from a worldly perspective had nothing to offer, but they saw their courage and their power, they were amazed. And what they took away from that interaction is these people had been with Jesus. My question is, have you been with Jesus? Have you listened to his voice so that he can take that little bit that you have and multiply it to impact the community that he's placed you in? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this incredible church. Thank you for these great people that are yours. I pray that, that your voice 
would sweep over their souls, that they would hear that they are sons and daughters of the living King, that they would hear that their sins are forgiven, that they would hear that you have indwelt them with your Holy Spirit. As Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory that they would understand that your work on the cross was sufficient and efficient to cover the sins of a million worlds. They don't have to add to it, you finished. And God, I pray for us that you continue to inspire us with your truth because this world is filled with the voice of an enemy that wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we wanna be people living the abundant life. So God, my prayer for Sun Grove is that you would continue to have your spirit lead the way for this church. As Moses said, if your spirit doesn't go in front of us, we don't want to go. Don't send us. I pray that for Sun Grove, that your spirit would go out in front of them and you would do great work here because of them. We love you, God. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.